often when I started school, we would get to go school shopping and get some new clothes. And so me, if, if you were like me, you got to go get new or regular clothes at, at Ross or Marshall's or, or something like that, which I think it's all the same. You just got to pick through more stuff. And you'd go to school and you had new clothes. You looked good. Everyone came in with new outfits, or a lot of people did. But one year when I was in fifth grade, I got a new pair, some new jeans for school. But I also had a puppy. And my puppy decided that it was a good idea to chew up my brand new jeans. And so I had jeans with holes in them, and I grew up in the time of Saved by the Bell, if you remember that show. People dressed real, they called, they called the, the star on that show, Zach, they called him preppy because people dressed a little bit nicer then. Nowadays, I would look at Sydney and her and, and, the, and the jeans she has, and she already has holes in them, and that's acceptable. But back then, it wasn't as acceptable to have holes in your jeans, so I think my parents put some patches on my jeans. They were brand new. I showed up at school and someone looked at it. They saw some patches on my jeans and they said, nice jeans, patches. Now, I didn't want to show up that new year with the nickname Patches. These jeans... We're not worth my reputation to my fifth grade self. I, I think I can take that now. I'm alright with being called patches. I, I, I overwear some clothes these days. But in fifth grade, I couldn't take it, and so I didn't want to be called patches. So I took those jeans and I put them in the bottom of my shelf and I never wore them again. Our God understands a little bit of what it's like to enjoy new clothes. To enjoy nice things sometimes. And one of the things that our God does is He, he even makes object lessons out of new clothes. We talk about whenever we give our lives to Christ and, and, and we, we, uh, we, we take off a song that we would always sing it at the camp I worked at was we take off the old robe and put on a new he talks about uh, that we, when we go to a wedding, we need to have our wedding clothes on, right? These wedding clothes for the great meeting with Him in heaven. But He's going to use clothes, new clothes versus tattered clothes in a way to teach about the relationship between God and His people. And today we are going to be in the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet that tried to call out to the people that were growing further and further away from God. The people of Israel and the people of Judah continue to grow further and further away from God. And so God is interesting and He gives object lessons for people to see to understand what they're doing. And these object lessons we can learn today. And so, if you're not already there, Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 1 says, This is what the Lord God said to me. Go and buy a new linen belt and put it around your waist. But do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed, and I put it around my waist. 
Now, you might be reading from a different version. You might be reading uh, from a version that's not the NIV. And if you're reading from a different version, you might be a little confused because what it says in this version and what it says in your version is two different things. This version says to go out and buy a linen belt. Your version might have said to go and buy a linen loincloth. Or it might have even said to go out and buy linen underwear. When we read Scripture that's thousands of years before our time, when we read Scripture that was written in a different language, when people had different styles, if I told you, uh, we already mentioned uh, Saved by the Bell, if I told you that, that this guy was wearing Slater pants, and I wrote that down, some of you might understand what Slater pants are, some don't. Slater pants came up right about here. That, that's what was cool in junior high. We had these Z Cavaricis that, that came all the way up here. Goofy pants. Well, they had different outfits back then, and they had different customs, and they also had a different language. And so we're trying to translate what this language is into, to, into our language today. And so the actual term that they use is go buy a linen ezor. And I don't think any of us really know what an ezor is, but we do know that it was to t be tied around your waist. It was to be tied closely to your body. And I think the NIV does the best job in, in describing this as a belt or maybe a sash. And if we look at what God's doing and we hear this term, this linen cloth, this linen belt, this linen waistband, it should immediately be thought of by the people of the time as priestly garments. When God told the priests of His time what they were supposed to wear, when He told the first high priest, Aaron, what to wear, Leviticus 16 verse 4 says, He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to His body. He is to tie the linen sash around Him and put a linen turban, and these are sacred garments. So He's supposed to put this linen belt or sash or something around his waist. And he's not supposed to wash it. It's supposed to be new like it, like it, once, like it was when it was first bought. And he's supposed to wear it around and, and people will see that and they'll see it and they won't just think that that's a linen belt, but they're going to see that that is something that the priests would wear. That is something that is considered holy and righteous. The only way the priest could approach God in the holy of holies of the tabernacle was to have this type of garb on. All these types of clothes made them holy. And so they see that. And God asks Jeremiah to do this. And so Jeremiah is wearing this belt And then the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. It says, take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist. Now go to Parath. Hide it in the crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Parath as the Lord told me. And so now you have God that says you need to go off to Parath and you need to take what I'd ask you to buy and hide it in the crevice of the rock. Once again, if you're reading a different version, 
It might not say that you're supposed to go to Parath, but it will say you are supposed to go off to the Euphrates and hide it in a crevice of the rock. Well, why does it say Parath in some versions? Why does it say Euphrates in the other version? In Hebrew, those are the same words. It's like me saying adios to you. I can say adios. I can say goodbye. It's the exact same word. Sometimes we just choose to translate into, into Parath, and sometimes you choose to say Euphrates. Now, the difference is there's a place called Parath that's about three miles north of Jerusalem, and then there's a place called the Euphrates, which we know of today in the uh, country of Iraq. But then the Euphrates was in Babylon. In the great Babylonian empire was the Euphrates River. That would have been a 700 mile walk over to the Euphrates River. So more than likely what God is saying is, go to Parath and bury this in the crevice of the rock. And this picture you see up here is actually a picture of this stream that runs through the gorge in Parath. And if you see all the rocks in that picture, kind of fits the description there where Jeremiah could have put that sash, that ezor in the crevice and hid it away. So what is God doing here? What are these strange commands that God's telling Jeremiah? Why is He wanting him to go and take this and bury it at the Euphrates? Why is He wanting him to do that? Why is He creating these object lessons? If you look at Jeremiah 6, or 13, verse 6, it says, Many days later, the Lord said, now go to Parath, get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath, I dug up the belt, and I took it from the place where it had, I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. So this belt that was taken to a town about three miles north was buried was sitting in the, in the muck, in the mire, was sitting in the stream. After time, we know what's going to happen to it. It's not longer going to be clean. It's going to be rendered useless. It's going to be like these jeans that I wanted to just put in my drawer because it wasn't worthy of being worn anymore. What is God doing with this story? Why is He sending him to the town of Parath? Why is He sending him up to Euphrates to bury this once holy, sacred garment? You see, the Euphrates, if people ever heard that term, are going to immediately think of the Euphrates River. And they're going to immediately think of what's going on in Babylon. They're going to immediately think, uh, they're going to associate Euphrates with what's going on in Babylon. And what's going on in Babylon is one of the greatest empires is being formed. And it's a scary empire. They're going and they're taking over nations. And he wants that to be in people's minds. 
It's the same as, as Texas Revolution. If y'all remember Texas history, one of the things that they did is as they were wanting to become a free nation, Sam Houston and, and all those uh, Texas delegates, all those that were starting to form a new nation, they went to a place called Washington, which we know as Washington on the Brazos. And they signed the Texas Declaration of Independence at Washington on the Brazos. Why did they call it Washington? Because they wanted people's minds to be thinking about what's going on in the Americas, what's going on in the United States of America. And when they signed the Declaration of Independence in the United States of America, they got their freedom, and that's what the Texans were wanting to do. To do it in this specific place, this place called Washington on the Brazos. So that everyone has in their mindset what they're about to do. They're about to get freedom. They're about to become an independent nation. And so God wants the people to see what Jeremiah is doing and He wants them to start thinking on what hap- what's happening over in the Euphrates. In the Euphrates, 700 miles away, there is a mighty empire that is going to come and destroy them because it's, they're no longer part of God. And we, what he wants them to see is, is this belt, this once sacred thing is now in the Euphrates completely destroyed. Because it's no longer part of the person that it was attached to. It's completely useless. And what God wants His people to know is apart from Him, they can become completely useless. They're not doing what they were supposed to do. They're not, they're not achieving what they were supposed to achieve. In verse 10 it says, These wicked people who refuse to listen to, their, to My words, who follow their stubbornness of their hearts, and who go after other gods and serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. And he wants the people to realize that as they're going and serving other gods, as they're serving themselves, their own stubbornness, what he created them to be, his own chosen people, he created them. He wanted to protect them. He wanted them to be tightly bound to him. They're now gone off to this other empire and they're being completely useless and they're going to find themselves in captivity. They're going to find themselves without God's protection. Not because God doesn't want to protect them, but they wanted to go off. They wanted to set their own ways. And in life, they will become completely useless from what they were created to be. God's chosen people. So what do we see with this? Sometimes we wonder, as God just sits and cries out to them, Turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. And he uses all his prophets to tell them, turn back to him. And they go the other direction. Fully in the other direction. They don't turn to God. They don't cling tightly to him. We say, why do they do that? They're going to get taken over by this other empire, this mighty empire forming on, in, in Babylon. But don't we do the same thing? We know what's right. We know what's wrong. And so often we choose to do what is wrong 
in the Lord's sight. So often we choose sin, which results in death, as opposed to our Lord, holiness, righteousness, and what gives us life. And when we live like that, we become like these people. Useless. Tattered. Worn. Marred. And this isn't just something that we deal with now. It's something that all people struggle with. Even the most godly of people. The Apostle Paul once talks about how he is keeps on going away from God. How he continues to leave the presence of God and what that does to him. He says in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, I want to do what's good, but I don't. I want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Can't we all relate to that? We, so many of us, we want to do what's right. But so often we do what's wrong. Sometimes we see the, these, these uh, sinful pleasures right in front of us and we decide just to go and take that. Even though we know it, it's wrong. Even the most holy of people that we would say the Apostle Paul that's given his life to Christ is saying, I want to do what's right, but I always do what's wrong. Not always, but so often I do what's wrong. And he says, I'm a miserable person. I'm worthless. I'm marred. I'm like this rag. And who is going to save me? Who is going to help me as I continue and continue and continue to do wrong, continue to sin? Continue to become a slave to sin. You see, if this sermon ends here, it's a pretty sad sermon. Because all of us continue to struggle with sin. And if the sermon that God gave Jeremiah ended right there with the tattered rags and said, you're completely useless to me, that is a sad object lesson that God gives His people. But that's not where God ended. A couple of chapters later in in chapter 18 of of Jeremiah, God comes back to Jeremiah and He asks him to do something else. He says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. He says, so I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in the hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. One of the things that God is now showing Jeremiah is Jeremiah's called to go down to the potter's house and Jaime did a great job explaining a little bit about what the what happens at, uh, with the potter. that uh, The clay is on the wheel and it's being shaped and formed and it says the clay that's in the hands of the potter at this time is marred, it's destroyed, and it can just be thrown out. 
But the potter chooses not to throw out the marred clay. He chooses not to throw out this useless, destroyed object that he's creating. But he decides to shape it into something new. He decides to make what was, what was wrong into something new. Something better, something great. And one of the things that he tells Jeremiah as he's talking about this nation that continues to, to leave him, that continues to go away from him, he says, if at any time I announce, if any time a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and then that nation repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict the disaster that had been planned. What he wants him to realize is, if you come back to God, you don't have to be completely useless. If you come back to God, you can turn your life that was tattered and torn, the, 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 like the jeans that were torn up or chewed up by my dog and sitting in the, in the battle. You can come back to Him and God will make something great out of you. Our God understands that we are going to have sin. He understands that we are going to turn away from Him at times. But He's saying, come back to Me. Get back on this wheel so that I can shape you into something wonderful. I can shape you into something new. I can turn you into a vessel that I can pour into. These Scriptures that we read from are filled with stories of people that do great things for our God, but ultimately they're filled with stories of people that struggle. That people turn away from God over and over and over again. As I was preparing for this, I, I, read, I read this, this, uh, this quote and I thought, what a wonderful way to describe the Bible. It says, Adam fell. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied, Jacob cheated, Moses murdered, Rahab prostituted, David fornicated, Jonah fled, Thomas doubted, Peter denied, Paul persecuted, we rebelled, but Jesus, Jesus redeems. All of us have fallen short, all of us have gone away, all of us have become this torn, tattered rag because we left our God. But Jesus has come. And Jesus saves. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, what a miserable man. What a miserable person I've become. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? But he gives us the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's, there's no condemnation for those that belong to Jesus. We are no longer useless if we're in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be in Jesus Christ? We go back to the belt. It means that we stay tightly to our God. And one of the wonderful things that we see here, one of the things that, that st stood out to me is, as he said, don't wash this belt. Don't put water on this belt. Well, what happens when you put water on something? If you put water on a new linen, what would it do? 
It becomes more pliable. It moves along with the body. It's not, it's not as stiff as it once was. What happens when you put water on clay? It allows the potter to mold it, to shape it, to move it in directions that, that it, it wouldn't have gone for before. What, do we, what happens when we put water on people? Well, that's the beauty of, of baptism. It's this, symbol, it's this symbolism of, of being or having our sins washed away. But it also is this mindset that we become more pliable to God. That it changes us. That we choose God's direction and not our own. That's what baptism is. It's saying, I no longer want to go the way I'm going. I want to go in your direction, God. And we give our life to Him. And that's why we can become part of His body. And some of us have made that decision to have our sins washed away. Have our, 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 our bodies be more pliable so that we can go closer to our God. Some of us are, are, are still thinking about that. And I would say, this is the perfect time to become one in Christ because when we're in Christ, we don't have to face condemnation. We can grow closer to Him. We'll get conviction. These Scriptures, they, they convict us and, and hopefully that, that allows this conviction that allows us to remind, it reminds us that we're supposed to come back to Him. Not head off to the Euphrates. Not head off to Babylon where we become useless, but come back to God and stay molded to Him. These Scriptures that we're taught, our God wants to shape us. And to shape us, that means God sometimes has to put a little bit of pressure on us. And we can choose to be a lump of clay that's dry and hardened on the ground. Or we can choose to be this lump of clay that becomes something incredible. That our Lord can pour into this vessel. And it doesn't just stop there that, that our God can pour into us when He shapes us and molds us. But these clay pots, we then can pour out into the world. We can pour what God's poured into us into this world and, and help the world realize that there's no condemnation with them when they give their lives to Jesus Christ, when they stay closely to the High Priest, Jesus Christ. And so if there's anything we can do for you today, if, if uh, you want to be molded to Christ, if you want to give your life to Him, if you want to be baptized to Him, we can do that today. Or if you've already made that decision and you're, you're, you know that you're just moving in the, in the wrong direction, you're heading over to Babylon, turn back. Come back to Christ. Let Him shape you. Let Him mold you. If there's anything we can do for you today, please come while we stand and sing.